Uh, last week, Chuck ended his sermon uh, by demonstrating to us how to pray through something like the Psalms, praying through the Word of God. And I felt led to uh, look at Psalm 56, and my prayer this morning is actually aligned with Psalm 56. Um, Father, as we worship you and prepare our hearts to hear from you through your word, please remind us of what we have heard, how Jesus promised to fill his people with living water, which we know to be your Holy Spirit living in us. We feel oppressed by the world around us with its problems and pressures, but you are gracious to us in your care and protection. When we are afraid, we put our trust in you. Flesh can do nothing to us. But we confess that it is often our own flesh, not our enemies, that seeks to bring us down. We stir up our own strife with our fears uh, that lead to us to patterns of sin. We long for you to cast down this enemy. Help us to see that you have already done just that by allowing your son to come to earth, live a perfect life, for us and die a shameful death for us. Our life of the flesh was crucified on that cross with Jesus so that we could live the abundant life that Jesus promised. Jesus, you know the struggles of our anxious dreams and have experienced the tears we shed. We know that you are for us, the Father is for us, and the Spirit is for us. We praise your word. We trust in you. Man can do nothing to us. We give you thanks. We give you our lives for your use. You have delivered us from death and keep our feet from falling so that we can walk before you in the light. Father, we approach you only because of our relationship with you through Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. If you would uh, turn in your Bible with me to... Matthew chapter 26, Matthew 26, that's where we'll be today. And for the first time ever, there's a Bible in the seat in front of you. How fantastic is that? Um, If you're new with us, uh, we have been going through uh, a series of messages where we're considering that Jesus promised a particular kind of life for his followers, a life that's full of joy and peace, not rooted in circumstance, but in him. And oftentimes what impedes us from actually experiencing that kind of life are fears. And so today we're going to look at another fear, and I hope that you'll be encouraged by our time together. So it's going to take us a little while to get there, but we'll be in Matthew 26. Uh, We've all heard the charge from other people of selfishness, correct? In fact, it's not even lunchtime and some of us in the room have rightly already been called selfish. Well, we won't ask for volunteers, you know who you are, but have you ever stopped to ask why is it that we're often selfish people? What is at work in our hearts that causes us to be selfish? Why do we often choose to live for ourselves instead of living for God and loving people? Those are really important questions to consider. Selfishness can come in many, many different forms, 
but all of those forms cause us to miss out on the joy that God has for us. Today we want to look at one, one particular kind of selfishness. It's a selfishness rooted in fear, the fear of pain, harm, and rejection. So our, our premise is that sometimes there is a fear that we have that if we act in a particular way, then we will receive back rejection or harm or pain. So some examples of that might help. It's selfish not to speak up when someone's being harmed physically, emotionally, or spiritually. To keep quiet and let it go on indicates that we're being more ruled by fear than we are of love for the person being hurt. It's selfish to ignore and sweep under the rug when illegal things happen at work and we just ignore it. It's selfish not to approach the kid at school that nobody wants to talk to because they're weird. Because we think by association with them, then we'll be lumped into being weird. Christians in the room, have you ever had the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody, say a family member, but you chose not to because you didn't want to be rejected by them? These kinds of selfishness are all the same thing. They're an arrogant absorption that promotes protecting myself over the spread of the gospel and the good of other people. That's the kind of fear that we want to talk about today. Because that kind of fear is always wrong. It's never appropriate. That kind of fear is always rooted in a lack of love for God and love for people. It's trusting ourselves and protecting ourselves instead of trusting that God will ultimately take care of us as we do what he wants us to do. Now, before we tackle that fear in rejection, I want to spend several minutes talking about what I'm not talking about. Would you follow me there? So here's what I'm not saying. And for some of you, this will be the most important thing that I say today. There is certainly a kind of fear of harm that is appropriate and is not selfish. Are you with me? So there is a fear of harm that's sinful and wrong. And there's another kind that isn't. We are hardwired with this as human beings It's called fight or flight. If you're in some kind of physical danger, it's completely natural to have a surge of adrenaline and and want to run away. That kind of surge of adrenaline isn't somehow evil or inappropriate. Ultimately, it's part of what it means to be a human being. Now, unfortunately, many of us in the room have been in those kinds of situations. We've been in situations where we had to run. And I want to speak to those for just a couple of minutes. If you're here today and you're a man or a woman, either one, and you've been sexually abused by a relative or a friend, for example, or if you're married to a violent person, or kids, if your mother or father are physically harming you, the fear that you feel in those instances is not selfish. It is not wrong. Sexual violence against women in particular ought to be a concern for us as Christians. Sexuality is part of God's good design. It's part of what it means to be a man or a woman made in God's image. And that very intimate part of our personhood ought never, ever, ever be violated by sexual sin. But statistics would tell us that one out of four of the women in this room has been already or will be the victim of some kind of sexual assault. 
Depending on your ethnicity, that statistic jumps dramatically higher than one in four. College students, you in particular, are at risk. You're vulnerable. Last year, there was 27 cases of sexual assault on the ASU campus. Those are just the ones that were reported. Ladies, if you've been the victim of some kind of assault, we're sorry. That never should have happened. Please know that you don't have to spend the rest of your life in shame and fear over what happened. You can find freedom in Christ. But you have to trust people enough to open up and to seek help. And your willingness to do that is a sign of faith and growth and a desire to see God help you get past that awful thing that you've been through. And men in the room, we have a tremendous responsibility to guard our hearts and to care for the women among us. I think that society has gone absolutely sexually insane. Physical and sexual violence are never, ever, ever appropriate. And if you've been someone who's done that, God can forgive you. God wants to forgive you. But you've got to repent from that sin and ask for help. So what I'm not talking about today is that kind of issue. If you've experienced those things and you've yet to heal from them, fear is going to be your very natural response. And that isn't a fear of selfishness. That isn't a fear expressed in selfishness. If you've been the victim of abuse, our encouragement to you would be to come into the light and ask for help. Hiding what happened only prolongs your pain. In Christ, you can emerge from that fear and walk in freedom. Your church family wants to help you. Sometime we'll take a whole morning together just to consider how those experiences often frame someone's whole life as a life of shame, unless you're willing to pursue healing in Christ. But that's not what we're going to talk about today. We want today instead to talk about the selfishness that makes us adverse to risk towards the things that honor God. This is the kind of fear that says, I'm not going to do what's right in God's eyes because I don't want to be rejected. That kind of fear is always wrong. It always limits your experience of God at work in you, and it always hinders the work of God in other people's lives. That's classic selfishness, and it may be hindering your growth in the Holy Spirit. So we want to look it in the eyes and see if we can see what God says about it today. Let me take a moment and pray that God would help us in that regard. Father, we know both by experience and by raw statistics that there's a lot of people in this room who have been the recipients of the physical acts of others that have harmed us physically, emotionally, spiritually, sexually. And God, that's a painful reality of living in a fallen world. We want to be a faith community, a family, where people can be honest about both what they have done that's harmed other people and how the actions of others have harmed them. Not, God, so that we can revel in the pain, so that the pain can be brought to you and we can experience healing. So I pray today that if there are people who have been harmed in those ways and have never 
opened up about it, that before they leave this room, they would do so. That God, you would move them to walk out of fear and shame and guilt and into the light, believing that you can bring about healing. And you can, we've seen you do it. And God, for others who may have caused those kinds of things, that they too would come into the light by confessing their sin and seeking help. God, these are intimate, difficult, painful things. That to think simply because we're sitting in this room we have not experienced is just not true. Father, may we be a church where people don't pretend, but we're honest and transparent. And we've experienced the life-changing truth and power of the gospel, not simply as something that can take us to heaven when we die, although it is that, but what can bring peace and joy and healing today. So speak to us, God. Give us your direction. And God, for all of us today, as we look at our tendency to live selfishly, our tendency to more quickly act to protect ourselves than to try to benefit other people, our tendency to want to shield ourselves from any kind of rejection instead of speaking the truth about who you are in a loving way. God, our tendency to be absorbed in our own lives and not to notice the people around us who have desperate needs. Father, we want to be people who live differently. So would you speak to us as we look at your word? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Friends, ever since the third chapter in the Bible, when sin entered humanity, there has been physical, emotional, and spiritual harm inflicted on one person to another. In fact, it started with the very first family. Cain killed his brother Abel. And so many years later, Jesus acknowledged that these kinds of things happen. And he never promised, if you simply follow him, they won't happen to you. People may reject harm and cause you pain. Pain is real. And there are appropriate steps you can take to minimize the chances of being harmed. There's probably places you shouldn't go alone after dark. Ladies, there's bars and parties you should not frequent. Parents, there are homes your kids probably shouldn't be dropped off at. Kids, there are websites and strangers to avoid. Those are simply issues of of prudence and wisdom, not selfishness. They're part of what it means to live wisely in a world where there's lots and lots of sin. But many of us miss the incredible experience of being used by God to build up His church and to spread the gospel and to love people because we choose fear instead of faith. That's the fear that I want us to look at today. The selfishness of wanting an easy life over a godly life. That's the life of selfishness. If we're not looking at life through the lens of the gospel and the power of the Spirit, our daily response to potential pain is self-protection, self-exaltation, even self-worship. In other words, simply choosing comfort over Christ. That's the fear that I want us to consider 
Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus said, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus is saying that there may be times when if you live your faith openly, it could be costly to you. And in some cultures, it could even cost you your life. And shockingly, he says, we should not fear that. In fact, he commands us not to. But he commands us to fear God, to live in awe and worship of him. Now, there's many stories in the Bible where we can see the fear of pain is stronger than the awe of God. But perhaps none as obvious, none as overt as the case of Apostle Peter. And that's what we're going to look at in Matthew chapter 26. Here's the setting before we read it together. Jesus is with his disciples, if you've never heard the story. He's spent years with 12 people. They have traveled with him, ate with him, slept with him. They've heard him teach. They've watched him do miracles. They've seen him cast out demons. They've been equipped to go with the message of the gospel. They've read the scriptures together, prayed together, gone to synagogue together. They have literally done life together every day for years. Time and time and time again, these 12 people were eyewitnesses to supernatural events. They should have had absolutely no question that Jesus was God. And Jesus had the very power of God, therefore, in everyday life. They were convinced that he was the Messiah. Jesus, knowing all of that, but also knowing more than they knew, knowing that he was going to be arrested, tried, and crucified in just a few hours, brought these 12 people together and told them what was going to take place. So that brings us to the text, Matthew 26, verse 30. Would you look with me there? Matthew 26, 30. And when they, that's the disciples with Jesus, when they had sung a hymn, They went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you, Peter, will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Now of all these disciples, Peter was probably the natural leader of the group. He's always the dude speaking up. Sometimes... That worked out really well, and other times it was a disaster. Those of you in the room with a big mouth, you know that's true, right? I'm with you. This was one of those times. Picture Peter as Jesus is saying this, saying and pointing to the other disciples. Jesus, though, Nathaniel and Philip, though they all, John and James, though all of them turn against you, I won't. I'll stand up with you and for you. 
I'll do it for you, Jesus. Peter believed that, correct? He would never have said it if it wasn't his intention. But not long after this conversation, Jesus was arrested and he was taken to a mock trial. And he was brought into a house that was on the foundation of where this house now sits. Show us that picture. So this house is built on top of where the house was where Peter would have observed Jesus being in trial. Peter was, Jesus was arrested and then he was put in this pit. Here's this, another picture. This is the very place where as Jesus was waiting for his trial, he would have been thrown in that hole, pitch dark, while they debated how they would put on this trial overnight. And then they drug him out. They mocked him. They hit him. They spit on him. They cursed at him. They belittled him. They lied about him. It was horrible. And Peter, who was one of Jesus' closest friends, stood outside that house, trying to be close enough to hear, but not close enough to be caught. And then here's what happened. Look at verse 69. Now Peter was sitting outside the courtyard, outside where all of this was taking place. And a servant girl came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus, the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I don't know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him. And she said to the bystanders, that man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. In the span of just one night, Peter had passionately stated, Jesus, I'll follow you to death. I'm yours. I'm all in. I'll do whatever it takes to be with you. Only to publicly, not once, not twice, three times. As he's within earshot of Jesus being hit and yelled at and mocked, say, I don't even know him. Notice that it wasn't denial to a soldier with a sword. He wasn't stretched out on a guillotine. The high priest wasn't saying, you were with Jesus. A servant girl. Someone with literally no power, no rights, no social status. That's who Peter said. I don't even know him. And then it happened with another servant girl and then a group of bystanders. As Peter watched Jesus being taken away, blindfolded, hit, spit on, yelled at, lied, threatened, his trust in God eroded to nothing. And all that remained was his own strength. And friends, our own strength is never enough. Never enough. 
So he lied. Peter lied and said he didn't even know Jesus. Now, can you imagine your failures being memorialized with a statue? That would be scary, would it not? Here is a statue that to this day marks the courtyard where Peter denied Jesus. I am very, very glad there's not statues for my sins. Or it would be like going to Greece. They're everywhere. This is the very spot where Peter chose self-protection over worship. Self-preservation over loving God. Self-protection over advancing the cause of Christ. Peter chose selfishness while his Savior embodied selflessness. Now, before we pick on Peter too much, are we any different? If it was you there, what would you have done? When you faced similar circumstances, what did you do? Have you found yourself at the dinner table at Thanksgiving when the topic of religion comes up? And as people misrepresent God and the gospel, were you courageous enough to lovingly share a different perspective? Or did your fear of rejection keep you quiet? College students, when you have that professor who mocks your Christianity and says faith is for arrogant Ignorant, unthinking people. Have you ever considered going up to her after class and saying, my life is different because Jesus is alive? Or did your fear of a bad grade keep you from that? High school guys, have you ever been at a party and seen a gal getting taken advantage of? Did you speak up for her on her behalf? Or did you keep quiet in fear? Have you felt drawn to invite a friend to our worship gathering or get involved in some area of ministry or start a gospel community or join this church or ask a non-believing friend simply to get together and read the Bible? Or have you been aware of some neighbor with a need? Or do you know you ought to get baptized? Or even to say yes to God's call to take the gospel to some country that you've never been to? When those things happen, Did you follow the Holy Spirit's initiative in your life or were you crippled by the fear of pain and rejection? Friends, certainly if we're honest, all of us in the room who say we trust Christ have had days when we have not trusted Christ. All of us. All of us have taken the path of Peter. But Christian... God chose you. He loves you. He's adopted you into his family. He's given you everything you need to live a joyful, meaningful life. And every time we choose ease and comfort over risk-taking Christianity, we're choosing the path of Peter. And a statue in our honor could be erected. So is there any hope for selfish people like you and me? Is there any hope at all? If you were God, and no, you're not, 
And your people who say, I trust you, I love you, I'll follow you, even if they all turn away, I'm with you, only to at the very tiniest hint of pain or rejection turn away. How would you feel? It'd be heartbreaking, wouldn't it? Is there any hope? Well, Acts 2 gives us a really great answer to that question. Would you flip over there to Acts chapter 2? Now, we have just jumped a few pages in our scriptures, but somewhere around two months in time chronologically. We fast forwarded and we're going to look at Peter again. But this time, things are a little bit different. Acts 2, let's start in verse 14. Acts 2, 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. The them is the crowd who wanted Jesus killed. Addressed them, saying, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem... Let this be known to you. Give ear to my words. Now jump down to verse 22 for time's sake. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in in your midst, as you yourself know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definitive plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death, because it were not possible for him to be held by it. For David said concerning him, now this is a little confusing, he's going to reach back into the Old Testament and quote a passage that everybody hearing this would have known. But he's going to say ultimately that passage was about Jesus. So here's what he says. I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand and I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades. You will not let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. He's saying, Jesus says that. Verse 29, brothers... I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. In other words, he's dead. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, And of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain. Watch how pointed this is. 
God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. That's pretty confrontive. So the man who couldn't say to a slave girl, yes, I know him, now says to a huge crowd of people, you killed God. The God you thought you were worshiping, you don't even know. You killed him. That was risky. That was brave. That was courageous. Look at the last paragraph there. Verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Now, this seems like an entirely different man. The selfishness and fearful man is gone. Not only does Peter not lie to slave girls anymore, but he stands up in front of thousands of people and gives what is one of the most important speeches that's ever been given. Only two months have passed between his selfish lying and now his public standing with Jesus. What changed? What changed? Three things. Jesus died and was resurrected. That was a game changer. Jesus personally forgave, encouraged, and commissioned Peter. Jesus went to Peter and said, Yes, you failed me, but I forgive you. I love you. In fact, I'm sending you to strengthen everybody else who also denied me. And third, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to live inside every Christian. So Jesus died and was resurrected. Jesus personally forgave, encouraged, and commissioned Peter. And Jesus sent his Spirit to live inside of every Christian. Now what was the result of that? Verse 41, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day 3,000 souls. Wow. What might happen if you didn't cower in fear, but you stood in faith? Let me close today by speaking to three different groups of people in the room. First, fellow Christians. So church family. If you like me, have had days that you've been more afraid of rejection, harm, and pain than you've been consumed by what God has done for you. The same three truths that were true for Peter are true for you. In fact, exactly the same truths. So Jesus died and was resurrected to save you. Jesus personally has forgiven, 
encouraged and commissioned you to be a disciple maker. And Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to live inside you. So that means that the same change that happened from the first Peter to the second Peter can be the exact same change that happens in you. You have the same power that Peter had because you have the same spirit. You don't have to cower in fear. Regardless of how many times you've done it in the past, you can face today with courage and strength and confidence in Christ. Brothers and sisters, people all around us are broken and lost without Jesus. Some are in this room. Some are in your neighborhood. Some are where you go to the gym. Some are in the restaurants you frequent. Some are at your school. Some are at your work. But they're everywhere. There are people who are discouraged because they're getting older and their friends are dying. There are people who feel abused because they were abused. And they're dirty and shameful and alone. There are people trapped in destructive habits they can't seem to stop. There are people living for silly things like graduating with honors or how they look or what people think of them, what kind of car they get to work in. Temporary stuff that can't satisfy the longings of the heart. Tempe is full of people spiritually dead, bound for hell, and they need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they will not hear it if you don't take it to them. People all around us are broken. But God offers a gospel that heals. Jesus came and died and rose again. And he's making everything new. He's king. He's a good king. He's not a tyrant. He rules with love and care and mercy and gentleness. He's a king that always does what's best for his. Always. That's the message we get to go and share. Why would we ever be afraid to share that? It's a good message. There's people filling our lives who don't know that message and they need it. Don't let selfishness stand in the way of the opportunities God brings you. Second, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, every Sunday, people like you gather here. We're thrilled about that. Thank you for being here. Did you know that Jesus came and died and rose again? Did you know he's alive today? Did you know that that's the most important thing you will ever hear? And that that's not some ethereal, otherworldly, unhelpful truth. If you'll believe it and trust it and trust him, then you will experience life as you never dreamed it could be. Right now, you can undergo the same change that Peter did. You can be freed from a life without God. A life full of pursuits that cannot satisfy you. If you'll only trust in Him, turn from your sin and believe Him. You can be freed from all your little saviors to the one true Savior. And third and finally, if you're here today and you're someone who's been harmed by others, 
Friends, the gospel says that you don't have to live in fear and shame. It's understandable. It's natural that you would. But you don't have to. Through Christ, anyone who's had anything awful happen to them can come to the place of experiencing life and joy and peace. For some, frankly, that comes in an instant with a prayer. For others, it takes years of work. But it can be your reality. The same God who forgave and empowered Peter can breathe hope and healing and life into your soul. You are not alone. In fact, the room is full of people with similar circumstances. You just don't know it. So before we leave today, we're going to ask staff and leadership to stand around the room and we're going to invite you, whether you're in that first camp, that first example, you're a Christian who's lived in fear and not taken the opportunities that God's provided for you. Maybe you'd just like someone to pray with you that you would go and not fall into the same mistake again. Or maybe you're in that second category and you're someone who needs to trust in Christ. We would love to answer any questions you might have. If we don't know the answer, we'll tell you we don't know the answer. And we'll try to help you find it. We'd love to pray with you. And if you're in that third category, you've experienced sexual, physical, verbal violence, and you've not brought that into the light. You didn't come here today to talk about that. But God brought you here so you would. You do not have to live forever as a victim of what's been done to you. God has a way out. So I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to ask someone if they would share briefly with us. And then we'll invite you to go to someone for prayer. Allison, as I pray, would you come? God, thank you that there is one who came, who fully embodied what it means to follow you. Thank you that there's one who didn't cower in fear when the opportunity to stand for what was right presented itself. And in fact, he knew, Jesus knew, that he would be met with torture, spiritual separation from you, all the sin of the world placed upon him, and then die. And yet he still did not fear rejection to the point of walking away, pain to the point of walking away, shame to the point of walking away. He faithfully followed you because we don't. And because he did that, because he died and rose again, his life, his place, his status with you is freely offered to all of us. Some of us in the room have already experienced that because we've turned from our sin and turned to you. We've trusted in you. We've believed in the gospel. We've become Christians. And yet, 
We have walked in fear instead of in the strength that you supply us. And together we would say, forgive us. We want to live differently. Others here today have never trusted in your power. And we would ask you to open our eyes to see the goodness of the gospel and our need for you and the truthfulness of what's been said today. Not because I've said it, but because it's what the scriptures say. God, call those people to trust in you today. And Father, there's others, and I'm confident that it's actually not a few, but many here who have had some traumatic thing happen to them by someone who is bigger, stronger, in authority, who manipulated, used, and took advantage of them. Father, that was wrong. It was sinful. We thank you that those things will not go unnoticed or undealt with. But we don't somehow make punishment upon that person by continuing to live in the shame and fear that those things cause. In fact, we let them continue to harm us if we do. So, Father, I pray if there's any in this room who need to be honest and ask for help and prayer and counsel and open an intimate part of their life up to you for your care, that they'd have the courage to do so today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.